You're listening to the podcast version of Spark TV, an interview series with the world's most inspiring women in business. These are honest business conversations over a glass of wine to help you shortcut your success in business. I'm your host, Danielle Lewis, three times founder, huge wine enthusiast, and always willing to share all of the gory business details to help you grow your business, no matter what that looks like to you. If you want more spark in your business, check out our membership spark 365 for daily business growth tips at sparkfoundersprogram.com and a huge shout out to spark TV sponsor IP Australia for their amazing support of the spark podcast and women in business. Oh, okay. Let's do it. Odette. Welcome to spark TV. It's so good to have you here. Well, thanks so much for the invitation. It's very fun to chat with a fellow sparkly business lady. So good. I know. I think we've been stalking each other on LinkedIn, Instagram for a while and have some mutual female founder friends. So it's nice to actually do this and have a proper chat. Absolutely. I love it. So let's start by telling the people who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Odette. Um, I found a little business called Odette & Co. um, just over seven years ago now. And um, yeah, I, you know, have a background in corporate communications, working for Westpac, um, the peak body for physiotherapy. Um, I worked in in the media uh, as a digital editor for Women's Fitness Magazine, before starting my business and I yeah what what do I do I'm a publicist um but for the last five years I've actually been teaching businesses how to do their own PR because probably what I discovered in the first few years of running my own business and agency Mm. was that most early stage businesses can't afford PR because it's super expensive (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which really sucks because Early stage businesses are doing really cool shit and they're the people I really want to talk to. They're, you know, changing the way we think, they're changing the model of business, they're Mm. creating impact and they're the people who really should be getting the media headlines. So, yeah, and it's it's funny too because someone, I don't know, a PR person once said to me, like, it is all about the story, you know, like you can't just go, oh, we released a new product and think that you're going to get all of these headlines. It yes. is about the story. <laughs> you're like, yes, have said that once or twice. Um, oh, you just, I just wish it's something that everyone fundamentally understood because it's really awkward when epic brands come to you and they're like, mm-hmm. we want to do PR and you're like, yeah, but like you need to be part of this. We can't just have your product doing it. And yes, you'll get product features without an amazing story for sure, Mm. but you're not going to get page space. You'll get a little photo of your product on a page amongst many other products. And that will have impact, of course. But if you want to have really big impact, you have to have a story to talk about and you have to be willing to talk about it too because yeah, you know, that's also lots of founders of don't want to show up and be the face <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a real um it's a real challenge in the PR space because I think that PR triggers everyone's insecurities because it's like mm. you have to say you're great you have to show up and tell everyone you're great you know you have to have like all of your par- tires pumped before mm. you step into this domain and I think for 
a lot of us, I don't know whether it's, it's purely a gendered conversation, but mm. I think the tall poppy syndrome, imposter syndrome, like literally every syndrome under the sun is running against female founders stepping up and just going, hey, I kind of know what I'm doing and I'm a bit of an expert over here. Come and look at what I'm doing. Oh my God. Can we just like bottle that and inject it into every female founder on the planet? I'd like one of those tablets myself. Yeah, uh, like okay. the ironic thing is that I spend all day, every day teaching businesses how to step forward and talk mm. to the media and pitch their stories. And meanwhile, like my hands are shaking right now. I'm always no! terrified. <laughs> with, like I am talking at an event um, at the start of May and you know, I'm always talking on social media about how terrified I get public mm. speaking. And mm. the the coordinator of the event was like, hey, babe, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, this, it's all good. I'll just be terrified. But, you like, know, I'm like happy I, to show up terrified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, I know the power and the impact that it has on your business to get out and share your story. Yeah. So I do it time and time again. But I also know that, that there's a process that you have to go through to push yourself into the discomfort. And nine times out of 10, it's about stepping when you feel uncomfortable and you feel like mm. you're not ready. I love that. I mean, I'm exactly the same, right? Like this here doesn't phase me because I feel like it's just a conversation with, uh, you know, someone I admire. But the public speaking vibe, like I do so many like keynotes, panels, blah, 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 blah. And, and I love it, but I love it the moment I step off stage. <laughs> I'm like leading into it. I want to fake my own death. Yeah. Like how 100%. can I get out of this? Totally. And, it's you know, surrender. my cycle is also like fear avoidance. So the mm. thing that I'm afraid of, I'll try not to think about and try mm. not to, you know, engage with until it's the last minute. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because I'm like not prepared because mm. I avoided it. <laughs> So trying to break that cycle and just show up prepared and maybe shift gears a little. Yeah, and that's really interesting too because some the the other PR person once said to me like, um, you know, A, so the story vibe, but B, like know your notes, like your like figure out what your story is, and then there'll be a few headlines like the, like have three things in your mind that is like the message that you always want to send. So if you're ever in the situation where someone's asking you questions, you're hammering in on your kind of key points. Absolutely, um, yeah. That key message development is not just something that makes your podcast interview or TV interview memorable mm. it's also what supports that hectic nerves rush that comes in and clears your brain of everything that you possibly knew mm. uh, when you've got some really well articulated well memorized um, messages that you can fall back on mm. it's like muscle memory and you can default to that when you're like deer in headlights and nothing's in your brain that is so good so I assume it's like the answer to this is take my course. <laughs> but <laughs> is there any heard of hack your own PR? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Insert link below, <laughs> which we will. Um, but that's kind of an interesting thought. So if somebody is, you know, if we're bridging the gap between where people are today and taking your course, any like initial things that founders, female founders specifically, should be thinking about 
if they are starting to dabble in wanting to hack their own PR? Yeah, totally. I mean, there's so many things that you can do off the bat to prepare yourself for putting yourself in front of the media spotlight. Like the first thing that I would do is do a digital audit. Google your Mm -hmm. name and your business name and see what comes up. Because you know that a journalist, the first thing they do if mm. they're mildly interested in you will go and Google you. So yep. if you've got any rogue social media accounts or, you know, old blogs or anything that sort of doesn't represent where you are in your business and where you want to be, mm get it offline or tidy things up. And LinkedIn is the most highly optimized place for your mm-hmm. first and last name. So go and make sure that you don't necessarily have to be regularly publishing as a content creator on LinkedIn, but have it set up as a publicly accessible CV so that mm-hmm. a journo can quickly suss out your background, your qualifications, um, your experience so that they can go, yep, this person's an expert. I want to work with them and have them as part of a story. So digital audit, number one. Number two would definitely be go and read the media Go and listen to podcasts, watch the TV show, buy the magazines, because the first thing that journos always say is, you know, so I think there's an industry stat that 75% of journalists say that only a quarter of the pictures they receive are relevant to the outlet that they write for. So that means that the vast majority of pictures that land in these journos inboxes Mm. are not written for them in particular. So the best thing you can do to change those stats is know who you're pitching to. So know the outlet. So go and study the media. And, you know, that's just like regularly listening to a podcast or, you know, clocking the news or reading a mag, you know, and getting to know what their tone of voice is, what sort Mm -hmm. of experts do they feature, what sort of style of storytelling do they use, um, because it will help you reverse engineer what you're going to need to put forward. So those two things, doing that digital audit and getting closer to the news cycle will just put you in a really good position to feel more confident to step into Mm. this space um, and also just fast track your growth when you get there. I mean, that's going to be the best advice ever because like think about sales, right? Because I always say this to people, if you're just out there spamming everybody, A, you will lose your mind because you are a founder and you do not have enough time to talk to every person on the planet. Um, But B, your conversion rate is going to be shit. So it just makes sense if you're, if you actively want a result out of contacting a journalist, make sure it's the right one. So make sure they're in a space that it makes relevant to you and that your message is targeted. Like, it's just like, if you were selling to the wrong customer, don't sell to the wrong journalist with the wrong message. Well, this is why I always say learning good PR skills is not just going to serve you in the Mm. media. It's going to serve you in every aspect of your life. It's going to make you better at business development and acquiring wholesalers or, Mm. you know, clients. It's also going to make you a better lover because you're going to be better at listening and nurturing (laughs) your relationships. It's going to make you a better, you know, boss with your staff because you're going to understand what people's motivations are. And Mm. it really, like all of these skills are learnable and not rocket science. You know, like I know it can feel quite intimidating because A, you know, whenever my husband always says, like whenever anyone asks him what I do, he's like, oh, she's a publicist. And they're like, 
cool. Like no yeah. one knows what a publicist is. A magician, so basically. If anyone's <laughs> listening, that's really just about pitching emails, phone calls through to journalists so that we can get your stories published in TV, radio, print, you know, podcasts as well. So um, I, I think that when people come into the PR domain, they like are, are quite intimidated, but it mm. actually can be quite simple in just really good relationship building. Yeah. Like the cornerstone of great media outcomes. And I mean, just thinking about that, right? Like your job as a publicist versus a founder trying to hack their own PR. Um, what what is your stance on that? I mean, obviously you believe it can be done because you teach it and there you've got courses and programs. You know, do you think that there's a stage in a business's life cycle where they should move from DIY to getting someone to do it for them? Absolutely. Absolutely. So a publicist, a good publicist will do a much better job than a founder any day of the week. Mm. My, the reason why I exist in this domain is for those that can't afford it. So if you can afford $5,000 per month for a publicist, please invest with them, you know, and also do due diligence to find out whether they're the right fit for you and Mm. talk to their clients to Mm. understand what results they've achieved. Like, please do not just blindly give money away to all publicists because I do know that it is a world where there's a lot of people that do get disappointed. Mm. So understand what you're really getting. Um, But if you're, and normally a PR retainer will be on a minimum three months. So you're kind of at that 15K mark as a starting point for really good PR. Yeah. There are people that um, offer services under that rate. I tend to find that those lower rate services are reflective of the outcomes that you're, you know, going to achieve. Mm. So good questions to ask a publicist if you're keen to engage. Who have you worked with? Can I speak to them? What kind of results would you anticipate are realistic in a three-month time frame? Mm. Which journalists will you be speaking to? that you think are going to be quick and easy yeses? Because I tend to find that most PRs might have, had a, have around the 50% of the journos as an easy yes. Yeah. 50% of them, they're going to be hustling, much like you would be if you were doing it yourself. So mm-hmm. they're going to be better hustlers than you will be and have a bit better like uh, ability to cut through the crap and, and make a really good pitch. But I also know that the vast majority of businesses that I know in the early, you know, first three to five years do not have 15K to burn on a PR campaign unless they're really well funded. So Mm -hmm. I think um, learning how to do your own PR is a very well uh, spent investment, not just for the time that you spend doing that PR, you know, whenever you do it. But then when you, um, you know, graduate to the point where you can outsource it, you are going to be such a good client and you're not mm-hmm. going to waste any of your retainer dollars on, you know, chasing down stories that are not newsworthy or investing with a publicist who actually has no idea what they're doing. You're going to be really finely tuned. And mm. I've worked, you know, I've had clients who did hack your own PR and then several years later, after they've had several pieces of coverage that they've generated themselves come on board as clients. And it's been 
the most lovely working. (laughs) (laughs) They've they've felt the pain. Yeah. Well, they get it. They understand what I'm looking for, what I need. And they don't like waste my time saying, hey, we've got an announcement we want to make about X, Y, Z. And you're like, it's just not a story. Like there's nothing Mm. I can do with that. Whereas people that come into paying for a publicist and they're like, we've got a launch, we've got an event, we've got a product or, you know, I'm launching a new course. Mm. Understanding that there's a clout and credibility ladder that you actually have to work through before those sort of business milestones become news. And I can understand that it's really hard for people that don't know PR because they, you know, a student in my client said to me the other week, why is there um, an announcement on Smart Company that Jane Liu has launched a business course? Like how Mm. come she's able to do that? I'm like, well, she's about 25 steps up the clout and credibility ladder. She is an AFR, um, you know, top 100 uh, earner in Australia, mm. like generating just being announced as a shark on Shark Tank, like exactly. So yeah, you know, for you know, for me to launch a course and pitch it to Smart Company, it's very unlikely that they're going to cover that as a news story because I don't have enough clout or credibility yet. Mm. I can pitch commentary, so expert commentary on issues as they happen. I can write opinion editorial for Smart mm-hmm. Company, and that will get published under my name but I just don't have enough clout. So that's something that I think a lot of businesses don't understand in the early stages when they come into PR, but Mm. the sooner they get a handle on it's a ladder, like the first time you pitch to Vogue, you're not going to be a cover story. (laughs) Hey, uh, don't squash my dreams. I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? And I think, you know, as founders, we're so emotionally connected to our babies Mm -hmm. that it is really hard to hear sometimes that the thing that we you're not news honey (laughs) it's brutal it's awful honestly Uh like it's really you know and I think that's probably one of the loveliest things that a PR does for a business is soften the nose from journos because Mm -hmm. that can be really hard to hear but like what I always coach businesses on when they come into learning how to DIY their PR is that the first thing you've got to do is put on a cloak of resilience so yes. that you can deal with the rejection, the radio silence and the rudeness because mm-hmm. that is very real. And it's it's very hard for, some, for a founder for us to hear someone say, you're not news or I don't want to run your story or... Mm you know, why are you pitching this to me? Because <laughs> it's tricky. But if you know that the media landscape has shrunk significantly over the last decade, that journos are under increasing amounts of pressure, mm. that, you know, a lot of journos have been writing health stories for 20 plus years. And so they've seen a few stories inside mm-hmm. out. And if you know that their inbox is, you know, a hundred emails an hour, yeah. It changes the way you look at it and it's easier to not take that rejection and the rudeness and the radio silence as personally as you might as if you're like thinking that there's someone on the end, other end of the Waiting email super story. Just like, what's the news, Odette? Tell me about that new course you're launching. Oh, my God, I love that. And you mentioned, um, 
you know, what results. So asking asking a potential publicist what results they've been able to achieve for somebody. Um, and I it's interesting. I find this, I find this funny coming from influencer marketing, where you know, many people perceive it as a bit of a dark art, which I think some people think that about PR as well. You know, what can people actually expect? Because I've seen lately a lot more people leveraging their PR. So say they get a story in the Daily Mail or something, but they're actually like taking that and pushing it out into social ads, like and boosting it themselves. And I'm interested to know like how you've potentially seen the the phrase ROI change and how people should think about ROI when it comes to PR. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess traditionally PR has not been um, classified as a lead generation tool. It's Mm. been more in the reputation awareness top of funnel activities. But I also think that kind of undersells what it can do for bottom Mm. of funnel activity. Um, You know, I've seen clients in Hack Your Own PR have one story generate $40,000. I've worked on campaigns that you know, have taken a podcast from having 8 million downloads to 12 million downloads in a six-month campaign when they've been around for six years. So Mm. there's a lot of different metrics that you can measure it by. And it's Mm. kind of like, what are you looking to achieve? Yeah, Um, I think, um, you know, the primary goal with PR is about changing the way people think and feel about you. And that's really hard to measure, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's also probably one of those things that you don't know until someone's like, oh, I saw you doing blah, blah. I saw you featured in, you know, whatever Mm. it is. But then there's also like those bottom line metrics. So return on investment, you know, I I don't think there's like a dollar in, dollar out. A lot Mm. of it depends on the quality of your story, which outlet you pitch to, uh, you know, what the audience alignment is. Like there's all kinds of different things. I would say appearing uh, with News Corp, appearing with Mamma Mia, um, you know, ABC Weekend TV, I've seen them shift the dial monumentally Mm. um, overnight but I also have seen campaigns need time to generate success. So I, I wish there was a silver bullet and I could say it's always this, but it's not. And also there's like platforms like Linkbee that are affiliate-ish models, which are cost per click um, that help you get published in particular media outlets. And they have phenomenal acquisition um, and lead gen. So um, in terms of that, like re populating your um, media wins into digital ads, I always urge everyone to just promote the heck out of any media coverage that they have. Because when you think about it, like when you have that opportunity, when you're in the media, it's like you're walking into the middle of of like a football stadium and you're suddenly in front of a hundred thousand people. And then you walk out and you know, then what happens? Well, you can use that moment when you were standing in front of that stadium to keep recreating that moment for your existing audience and for new audiences. So when you pop that out via a social media ad as featured in and like a flattering quote from a media outlet, Mm. it fast tracks that journey that someone's going to have at the different stages of consideration of working with you. And particularly for 
I don't know if you're in a competitive landscape, like a swimwear brand where there's a gazillion and one other swimwear products. When you're buying online, it's hard to discern whether one is, you know, one black swimsuit's better than the other. Yes. Uh, but then when you see as featured in Vogue and Harper's Bazaar as like the sexiest sustainable swimwear, you're suddenly, you know, fast-tracked because you're like, oh, well, they've endorsed it. I mm. trust that that. So the equity and the um, the trust and clout that comes from being featured shouldn't be wasted in just that moment where you're featured. I always think, you know, like if you go into a fish and chip shop and they've got like a photo of like a newspaper clipping behind the counter and it's like a celebrity eating a burger that one time. <laughs> You're like, oh, well, if Chris Hemsworth likes these burgers, then I will do. Yeah. <laughs> Take I my was, money. Yeah. Like, you know, juice the absolute last drop of lemon out of your media ops because mm. um, you can, there's a long lifetime that you yeah. can use that endorsement. Yeah, it's really interesting. I just love the the concept of thinking longer term. You know, I think yeah, we're so... We, everyone wants to go viral. Everyone wants to be an overnight success, all these things. But I've just found after being in business for 10 years that everything takes time, <laughs> you know, and there's the investment that you make in those PR pieces or anything in your business. You know, you do want to make sure that it gets the longest possible life and that you that you use it. But I just think like putting yourself in the consumer's shoes, like exactly what you said when you're shopping for a swimsuit, you do you do do that as consumers we do look for validation we look for the points of differentiation between the two black swimsuits that look exactly the same because well, especially with the way the like paid ads algorithms working at the moment right so mm. if you engage with a ad from a black swimsuit brand mm. the next three ads you're going to see are going to be from competitor swimsuit brands. So if yep. your ad has that you're endorsed by Harper's Bazaar or Elle mm-hmm. or Rush or whoever, you have so much more clout in that ad yeah. than the next five ads that they're going to see in the next hour on yeah. social. So it's a really tricky and murky landscape, but I think the same goes with your influencer um, opportunities, right? They can mm. be repopulated, providing it's part of the terms of, agreement with your influencers but using it in in the same way turning that into paid campaigns like any of those real um cornerstone moments in your marketing and PR campaigns they should be repopulated at every touch point that you can possibly get them out there Totally. And that's exactly what we say to people as well. So influencer marketing tends to sit top of funnel as well, um, depending on how long you've been doing it uh, and whether you're optimizing it. (laughs) Slide plug there. Um, But we do the same thing. So we're like, if you're going to invest in an influencer that may not result in billions of dollars in sales, use it, use it, you know, make sure that you're using it as social content, make sure that you're using it in your paid ads, make sure you're using it, you know, to get PR, like depending on who they are, but, you know, making sure that you're actually thinking hard about your dollars and where you're investing in them and how you can, you know, make them go further. But the other interesting thing on, I guess, just on that point, you know, PR and influencers, um, you know, you think about a consumer and touch points, right? Like we all talk about how now a consumer can need up to 16 interactions with your brand before. Gazillion. They make I think the... it's 16 gazillion. Now. Oh, 16 gazillion. The number's been updated since I last did my research. <laughs> 
But it's so true. So it's like, okay, well, if they're going to interact with you in all of these different ways to help your marketing dollar go further, you do need to reuse things. You do need to pull that PR onto your social or onto your website or onto whatever, or the influencer onto your EDM or whatever. Like you really need to think about your sales and marketing as an ecosystem, not as these isolated things that you invest in. It's such a muddy swamp though, isn't it? Because it's oh, yeah. like, it, I just always feel like, yep, you've got to recycle. You've got to get it all out at a gazoon touch points. But then it's also like, are we self-perpetuating? Like, are we creating this problem? Because we're like, oh, let's make a gazillion more pieces of content to mm. make sure we get the cut through. And hence we're in this problem. <laughs> We are our own spiral. Great. You're welcome. Uh, Here to inspire you, and delight. You can thank Danielle. all of us marketers. Yeah, great. Okay, so let's do a quick left turn because otherwise I feel like you and I are going to talk all day. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about PR, small businesses, why it's important, all that kind of stuff. But I want to talk about your business journey for a quick second what was it like, you know, you mentioned you've been in business for seven, seven years. Yep. Seven years. Um, so what was it like actually going from employee to business owner? Um, rewind, go back. Um, yeah, well, I guess I straddled it for a long time. I actually had a business before this many, many moons ago, like 14 years ago, I had a um, fashion store with a friend of mine. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. So I had some experience. I think I always had that, um, unemployable trait of the entrepreneur, <laughs> you know, like the curiosity yes. and the <laughs> not really relenting to other people's wishes. But I, um, with that first business, I was working at Westpac and, mm. um, working on the business on the side. And then the same when I started Odette and Co, I was working part-time and I was picking up a lot of um, freelance work through the like-minded bitches drinking wine Facebook oh, group. Cool. Shout out. <laughs> yep. Um, and so I I think I picked up just enough work to warrant it being almost a full-time job, but I hadn't really mm -hmm. told anyone that I had a business. So it was just like little things that I was picking out of there. And then as soon as I put it out publicly that I'd started my own business, the like avalanche of work just landed on top of me. So I think that first year was just classified by burnout and mm. being a professional yes person. So mm -hmm. um, there was zero niche, hence the name Odette & Co, so that I could be as wide. Everything to everybody, yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I think, um, I, I, I don't know, I think it was quite thrilling and exciting to be, you know, in demand like that was good mm. for my ego to have that opportunity but at the same time I was terrified like I had yeah. no idea how to do business I constantly felt like I was an imposter you know it was a a tricky exhilarating exciting rewarding terrifying time is how yeah. I would describe it no and I mean it is it is interesting because I I look back on my early years 
and kind of think the same. Sometimes I go, where where's that feeling like where it was like so exhilarating and you would stay up till all hours doing things and now I and now I realize that that you know did lead to burnout and but and I, like, but oh also at that energy is something you never get back that's the start no. of a new business energy and it's amazing yeah. and I feel like there's a lot of negative narratives in the business landscape, like anti-hustle culture. And I think mm. that's bullshit because I feel like that's people who've made it pulling yeah. up the ladder behind them. And I yes. think that's cruel to mm. everyone who then is going to be beating themselves up for working their heinies off, mm. which there's no way any of us would have found any success if we didn't work until our eyeballs were bleeding. Like it was totally, no, I completely agree. I'm still working till my eyeballs are bleeding some days. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, that, that is what it takes. And I feel like when we have these like balance narratives and you know, that you should be looking after yourself, which I agree you absolutely should, but not there has to be a point where you're willing to go all in for your business yeah. because otherwise go and get a job. It totally. requires a certain kind of crazy yes. to run a business. Like I just, I am yet to find someone who's really succeeded in their like coasting and cruising and just super relaxed about everything. Totally. Well, and I also feel like that the big danger there for me is not keeping ahead, not staying ahead of people, right? Like if I'm coasting and cruising, to me that goes, oh, I need to be worried because someone's going to come out with something. There's going to be a new, you know, change in social media or something that we're completely behind on. Um, you know, for me, if I'm coasting, it means I'm not pushing myself enough. I'm not innovating. I'm not creating more value for my clients. I'm not keeping up with trends. And, you know, I mean, I, I agree, like you do actually need to look after yourself, you know, particularly as you progress in business, but I don't think you can do it without the hustle. You know, I really do think, and I also like, I miss those days of energy where it was so exciting. And oh, I don't. I don't. No, really? I just like I, my, I, I look back on that time and I remember like just having like feeling like I had no internal organs. Like I just felt like what? a shell of a human. Like I was so empty and had nothing more to give. I had like really given a little bit too much and just too many nights working super late but I I do understand like that that thirst and that um you know like the end of the day arrives and I'm like okay stop bedtime whereas I used to just be like go 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 yeah I just one more thing just one more thing I could tweak the website I could do this I could do this yeah I miss I miss the energy where's the energy I also don't think aging helped me at all there is that as well. There is that. Mm. We're not going to be little spring chickens forever. But also I'm so grateful for every year of wisdom mm. in business, mm. in life. Like aging such a beautiful process so yes. far. There's like the less flattering sides of it where your body isn't as cute as you might like it to be. But to know things and to know myself and to have seen cycles and trust in things a little bit more and know what I need to do to look after myself in business. That's yeah. like wisdom that I wouldn't um, exchange for anything. 
Yeah, and it's a great self-awareness, um, you know, which I think is when you in, are in that beginning phase and it is a bit hustle, it is a bit say yes to everything, it is a little bit like I have no fucking idea how to run a business, so you're kind of like, you know, on that journey as well. The That self-awareness that comes with time and reflection and feeling the pain and experiencing different things that is really nice if you can actually understand who you are as a person or at least have some more threads that you can lean on to perhaps replace the the youthful energy that might be might be once gone but at least now we can reflect and kind of go you know this is what i need to replenish my energy to show up as best as i can in my business but also creating a business that suits you a little bit better as well absolutely yeah i think you just get more discipline um into doing those things that look after you like i won't start work without going to the beach every morning you know like that's just non-negotiable for me Mm. um and they're things that i i know the cost of not doing it do you know what i mean like a few laps around the sun in business and you're like no that doesn't work for me you know like i need to do those um those rituals that perhaps in the first year or two I didn't do because I'd been up till one o'clock working on something. Yeah. Uh, whereas now it's like, no, no, that like has to happen. Yeah. I love that. I think you're, you are spot on. I think that yes, in the early days, we're going to put in the hustle. Yes. Now there's still going to be days that are hustle, but yeah, actually understanding what you need to show up as a business owner and do right by your clients is, is critical. Absolutely. I love it. Okay. One last piece of wisdom for our beautiful Spark community, female founders who have tuned into this episode, reflecting on your time as a business owner, uh, as a woman in business, as potentially uh, working with a lot of other women in business. Would there be one piece of advice you might give somebody who maybe is just starting out, um, so who falls into that small business startup vibe that has helped you on your business journey? Community is everything. Absolutely. Like be um, absolutely fearless in asking for people to be part of your community and Mm. set up ways to naturally incorporate them into your life whatever way it might look because for me everything that has been a really significant and meaningful leap forward has come from friends in business from people within the community who have given me a hand or a leg up whether that's you know the first person who helped me in my first business who helped build my website for a couple of slabs of beer through to (laughs) you know friends who have you know, open doors for me getting my program licensed into realestate.com or other friends who have helped me franchise my business internationally. There's, you know, like those relationships with fellow founders and people in industry will be your sanity, your lifeline and your growth opportunities. Mm -hmm. And, And those shoulders to cry on when things are hard because there's always going to be hard times in business. So, finding ways to build and foster community around you. Like for me, I have a shit run club that I go running with, which is like fellow business owners. I have a lovely PR community that I set up on WhatsApp with amazing PRs to collaborate with. 
I, you know, have my beautiful Byron business babes, which we meet up once a fortnight, which is the naffest, most embarrassing name, but it's, you know. I love it uh, though, yeah. The, the the community of business owners on social media via LinkedIn, via Instagram, mm. um, you know, like that is, that's just everything. And I just think go and ask people that you really like if they're open to, you know, a monthly powwow with a group of like similarly minded business owners, set those things up, like actively create those things in your life. Yeah. Um. If you can't find them pre-existing, but yeah, get hu- good humans around you. That is uh, the most wise advice, I think. <laughs> Odette, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your wisdom and your insights with the Spark community. Um, absolutely appreciate you and has been a fabulous chat. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a treat. <laughs> <laughs> cool. We'll cut the video there. Great. Amazing. Oh, so good. Let me just hit stop. That wraps another episode of Spark TV. Thank you so much for listening. I hope there was something in there that you needed today to help you on your business journey. We would absolutely love it if you subscribed and leave a review. This helps the Spark podcast find its way to other amazing women in business. If you want to hang out with us even more, join Spark 365 and you'll have me show up in your inbox every damn day with a business growth tip. Check it out at sparkfoundersprogram.com. Shout out to Spark TV sponsor IP Australia for their amazing support of the Spark podcast and women in business. And if no one tells you today, you've got this.